Because feeling feeling that way, it's a commitment, isn't it? This commitment we have in our cultivation. Yeah, that we will we will take care of here, in a sense, to myself and to all. Yeah, the sense that really we are cultivating these heart qualities. And it can seem like in some of the ways we may have practiced the Dhamma, that what's all this talk about love? Why why have we really picked it up, picked up the sense of love, the, the relationship between love, life, breath? Why is this so important? And it's to really consider my experience, it's to really stop and think, Hmm, if the whole of the Buddha's teaching, all of it, sits within the Four Noble Truths, if this is really what we're inquiring into, if this is really the the gift the Buddha gave us, this really profound teaching, this profound inquiry, where is love in that? There is dukkha. Where is love in that? There is cause. Where is love in that? There is a possibility of complete freedom from all distress or suffering. Where is love in that? And there is a path, a, a way of practice that brings this possibility to full fruition. Where is love in that? And it's to really keep a reference to that. There are so many things here the Buddha could have talked about. I mean, he, you will all be familiar with that little metaphor he used, that what he taught was just this handful of leaves out of this vast forest of his understanding. And he really pointed and said, this is where you need to be paying attention. Of all the things we could think about, contemplate, consider, if we really want to wake up and free the heart, we need to be attending to this teaching. And within this elephant print, all everything else that supports waking up sits. So it's to keep ourselves aligned Hmm. so why are the Brahma Vihar so important and often in the way the teaching seems to be presented if you come into the Sutta Pitika there is a lot of um, teaching about different processes about different insights, understandings, and there's not direct, a tremendous amount of direct pointing to this cultivation. But if you read the Vinaya Pitaka, it's the very ground it sits on. So the Vinaya is about the kind of training, the training of, in terms of living 
a life that supports Waikina. And for those of us that are not in monastic practice, it may not feel so relevant, but what is truly relevant about it is it's really pointing at how to be in relationship. How to be in relationship with others and with ourselves, to be deeply respectful, to be respectful to all the members of the fourfold Sangha. Those of us in lay practice, those of us in monastic practice, ways of relating to each other that are about taking care. So as we read this Sutta Pitaka, we can kind of miss the centrality of this cultivation. It may or may not, but there's a possibility of missing it. And as you know, when you when you're actually in the in the sphere of your own practice, in the sphere of your own waking up, what allows you to know there is dukkha? To, to really meet the distress, the agitation, the suffering that comes in this chitta, in that aspect that is so resonant, this, this, as we're talking this morning, the chitta, the thing that actually is capable of being liberated. How does this really sensitive, resonant... It's hard to even give it a word, isn't it? But we can we can experience it. How does it actually have the strength to wake up to the way things are? And in if you when we start to really inquire into it, there is only one way and that is through these experiences of heart cultivation, this quality of matter, of an unconditional friendliness, that we will be there. Like it or not, we will actually be there. We will sit. I, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of energy coming through my chitta yeah, at this time. And that our willingness, each of us, is actually to be present, to have the whole system aligned and upright and really come into what is happening with skillfulness, with love, yeah. to, to be present. And the supports for this love are really body and breath. Yeah. Yeah. We see this understanding within the Dharma, but also within places like um, some trauma work, psychotherapy work. There are these books that many of you will have read, you know, The Body Remembers, the bit Rothschild's work, and others in the field, but she's a shining light. And what she recognizes is that there's only one way to meet what is afflicted. You know, the, the way the body stores afflicted resonances. And this is with respect, with love, and with presence. And if, if this is an area where you're working, if you're working on, you know, 
just to really remember that in a sense she has of that really accords with the experience each of us will have in Dhamma practice that any forcing, any demanding, any harshness is counterproductive. So we can we can see it in Dhamma teaching, we can see it in some of the the work that's happening from people who really contemplating what works and freeing these systems out of affliction. So as we sit here, how do we meet it? How do we meet whatever is happening in a way that brings deepening freedom and insight? How do we get the heart large enough? And some of the things that come through at different times, particularly when we're often earlier in our practice, when we're actually clearing out some of the impacts. These chanting is critical in my experience. Things that get a really big sense of spaciousness in a container. Chant, you keep the whole body resonant with the possibility of waking up. I have really strong memories of when things got a bit, what would you call it, hard, I guess, at, at Titus, you know, over the years there, just walking up and down on the walking path, chanting the epithets for Nibbana, for waking up, the kind of unshakable, dustless, secure, sorrowless, yeah? and washing through the chitta, through the whole body, this resonant, resonating with remembering that though there may be distress here, that's coming from some kind of leaning out in some way, some afflictive process, it is possible to meet it and it is possible to completely free it up. So as we're practicing, all kinds of things can come bubbling to the surface here. Yeah? And we we keep expanding, steadying, using very embodiedness itself to support that. And sometimes if the energy is really afflictive, the breath is part of that. It has been captured in that energetic. And so to use chanting to use the beautiful nature around us, to sit under a tree and feel its shelter. These things give us strength. And on the on the you know, our retreat space, yeah, there's this beautiful t- picture of the Bodhi tree, and it's a really wonderful metaphor, isn't it? And it's a and it's a reminder. Of what it, what it's like to take shelter. Some of you will have had, and I have had, the great good fortune to, you know, to be there at Buddha Gaya, yeah. to be at that place where the Buddha stopped, you know, was there with all this affliction coming, you know, what's called the host of Mara, and really through 
through that sheltering and through the recognition of his own goodness and cultivation, had the capacity to free the heart up. So to to come into, you know, just as this body remembers affliction, it remembers conducive states. Yeah. I I certainly can sit here and I can remember body can remember what it was like to sit under the Bodhi tree. And in a way I was there at a fortunate time, you know, a very long time ago, and in the hot season when nobody else was there. And because I was there all the time and just helping sweep helping the sweepers and helping around, then I was able to just sit directly under the tree. So it gives a resonance. But we we can all connect with these embodied memories of places of faith, of places of shelter. And so when we're sitting here afflicted, energies seem to be arising to to have these resources to meet it. You know, the body can be resonating with affliction, but it has this powerful memory of love, of shelter, of care. And it's to be able to really hold both of those so we can actually meet what is going on and we can understand what is happening, why why the suffering is arising. And we have the understanding and the capacity to let go. Let go through insight and understanding. Not through aversion, but out of this profound, compassionate clarity. Hey, this, this is simply not seeing clearly. And it's one of the power powers of really being willing to be present. If we're present, present to something like worry, what could say was it's my favourite hindrance. And to over decades, I guess, but for a very long time, I would just move around, working, doing things, speaking with people, just attentive to their energetic in the body. A kind of sometimes subtle, sometimes more so. And by really befriending it, to be able to see what is underneath it, this this sense of, am I okay? And most of us, can resonate with that that kind of tremble in the heart and we can really see it comes it comes out of the ignorance of feeling ourselves separate the fear that comes from separation from this misunderstanding and if you really hold with one of these hindrances as they're called you start to understand things. So, worry. It's there. 
And what becomes obvious when we have enough clarity, as in times of retreat or quiet, is that this very sense of me arises based upon it. It's based upon hindrance. There's that experience, and then there's a kind of assumption so quick it's hard to even see that if there's this object, there must be a subject. There's worry, there must be me here. And this is the conjuring trick of consciousness. This is a fundamental mistake. This separation into subject and object. And we start to see these things by being willing to be present with what has arisen in the chitta. To really start listening. Oh, okay, so if this experience of me is arising based on worry, no wonder it is so painful. And we come out of the belief in that. We can we can see the mechanism out of which it is arising. And then the these other heart qualities, the sense of compassion that can wash through. What it's like when these fundamental ignorances take hold. What it's like when we're leaning out, you know, when we've lost home. So attuning, I don't know about you, but if times have been quite full and some over the last years, like for many of you, there have been all kinds of things happen here. And then to come back into meditation, back upright and present, and you can always feel a kind of tears of relief. I'm sure you have them when we are back home. Somehow we lost touch, maybe for a moment, maybe for a little while. And the compassion and relief of uprighting and just being here, attuned, aligned with the chitta. So we're starting to see how these, these heart qualities really map on experience of the Brahma Vihara. The the Buddha, you know, the very realization, the night under the Bodhi tree. What supported that? And you get, as you know, you know, just that the uh, earth touching mudra of the Buddha. The Buddha calling the earth to bear witness to his heart's cultivation, to his goodness. And that being so powerful, so strengthening, that kind of made the hordes of Mara, which are the kind of voices of self-criticism, of doubt, all the kind of crazy things that can pull us away and and make the heart tremble, these all just fell away in the face 
of the goodness. So, oh, we have no place here. So to really feel the strength of your cultivation. And in my experience, yeah, as we're as we're working in this process, some blissful things arise, some afflicted things arise, and all of them we're meeting with this quality. And none of them are we grasping hold of. Any of it will burn if it's held on to. But to to take in the nourishment of what is conducive and to let go of what is harmful. To have this unwavering commitment to this cultivation. We will not do things, you know, particularly mental things that are harmful here or there. But really, here is where the work starts. And so many unkindnesses come wrapped in tricky voices, yeah? The comparing, the contrasting, the if you'd only done this, if you'd only do that. And it's to have this confidence that they're not rooted in kindness. They're not rooted in compassion. They're not, and if they're not rooted in those things, they're not to be listened to. And this is, this is different, isn't it, from wise reflection to stop and think, hmm, what was the result of that? Could it have been done differently? Yeah. In a way that was more helpful, kind, conducive. You know, so I'm not saying not to reflect, but not to grasp hold of things that burn the chitter. Sometimes we do, and we just allow ourselves to feel that so that we can let it go. No, no, I'm not doing this. Of all the things I could do in the universe, this is not one of them that I want to be doing. Yeah, and part of this process seems to be coming out of small senses of ourselves. Yeah, we can. We our sense of who we are really comes out of how. You know, how we've been treated, how we're seen, how we're reflected in the society around us, on and on, yeah? So it's a whole conditioned process, isn't it? And you know, we can sit down and have very kind of gnarly senses of, you know, me, this being here, and they're, they're so limited. But when we come into the upright experience of the chitta, they don't make any sense, do they? They don't align with it. And what's really, I find fascinating, is 
they come from some sense that we know who we are. But in reality, we haven't got a clue. So we're, we're all, you know, I think particularly women are conditioned to keep a very small sense of what we're capable of. And what would it be like if you just dropped that? You really come into the mystery. Who knows who you are? What lifetimes of cultivation sit there with you? Who knows how ripe your heart is? So to really stay here in this moment now, waking up to what is present. It may be in the next moment you can let go of every trace of affliction. So it's worth putting forth the effort now because you have no idea of how it might fruit. As some of you know, I have this lovely metaphor that I use from the Dhammapada, you know, and it's of a water jar. And for those of you that have been to India or Asia, particularly um, to Saranath, at the time of the Buddha, there were these huge water jars. There are still them in the museum from, from when the monks and the Buddha were there, and the nuns, that, those monasteries in there. Big, and they're a potent symbol, and the Buddhists would say, drop by drop, the water jar fills. Do not think any act of goodness is of little worth. Drop by drop, the water jar fills. And what's so beautiful about that is how full is the water jar? When will the next drop be that makes it overflow? It's not that we're trying to get anywhere. But we're trying to come out of narrowing, limiting, discouraging senses of what is possible. We do the work, we cultivate goodness, we keep letting go of what is unhelpful, cultivating what is skillful, staying aligned with the Four Noble Truths, and the process does itself. So I offer those reflections just into this time of practice, just to give us good heart with this whole thing. And to really come into the simplicity of what we've been asked to do. So that it's for our long-lasting welfare and happiness. Let us spend some time in meditation together. 
Letting our hearts be here, felt, imbued with these qualities, aligned with the Four Noble Truths. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.